morning, Gretna family. It's Pastor Rob. Great to see you today. We are in the second week of our series called Neighborhood Watch, where we are renewing our commitment to love our neighbor, that that basic fundamental part of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. We talked about last week out of the book of Matthew, the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. We're going to look at Luke's version a little bit today. But the the second one that Jesus says is just like it, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And all the commands and the prophets come from this. Everything about what it means to understand and to follow God is seen through these two commands, these two lenses, if you will. Last week, we talked about specifically trying to figure out why. Why does the second command mean so much to God? And at the end of the day, the reason is this. Human beings, all of us, are endowed with something called the Imago Dei. We are all, as Genesis 1 said, created in the image of God, male and female, right? Created in his image, the image of God, the Imago Day. And in Genesis 2, we saw that, that he breathed the breath of life into our nostrils, something he doesn't do for any other part of creation. It allows us to have a unique relationship with him, a unique relationship with our surroundings, the created world, and a unique relationship with one another because we all have that little piece of what it means to be of God, the image of God in us. And so loving our neighbors is, is an effect. To love our neighbors is to love God. And our fulfillment of this, this second command really is representative of our, of our commitment to the first. And so this week, we're going to take a deeper dive into a scripture that we kind of touched on a little bit last week. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke chapter 10. And here Jesus doesn't just expand our, our, our understanding of who our neighbors are, as, as he did last week in, in our lesson, but also the scope of our call to care for them. And in short, the call to care for loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're going to do it in two sections. We're going to read verses 25 through 29. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And then we're going to jump into the remainder of the scripture and try to ask ourselves, what does this mean for us and what do we take away from it? So jump in with me. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. You can grab a Bible or I'll put it up on the screen. It says this, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? We talked about this a little bit last week, right? This idea of expanding the notion of of who our neighbor really is. But Jesus in this, in this, as he commonly does in these discussions, doesn't answer this man's questions directly, largely because the questions he's asking really aren't the questions he wants answered. You know, if, if you have a, a child in your home who has chores assigned to them, when they come to you and they say, do I really have to do my chores? Um, they know the answer, right? They know 
they ha- that they have to do them, that they're assigned to them, they're an expectation, they're a responsibility. What they're really asking you is, can you change the rules for me? Can you bend your expectations? Can you change what you want from me, even if it's just this time? And true to form, the man here, the expert here, Jesus' answers don't sit well with him. He, and and his, his goal, really, is misplaced. It says in verse 29 that he wanted to justify himself. That was the, the driver for that second question of, well, who is my neighbor? He's, he's wanting to ensure that Jesus <laughs> holds up what he already believes and knows to be true. He wants, instead of asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? He's saying, Jesus, will you confirm what I already know? Will you confirm, please, that I'm right, that I am righteous, that I am justified before you, that I know who my, my neighbors are? In some ways, that's very self-determining, right? You've got, are my, are my neighbors my immediate family, those people I am closest to? Well, the answer there is, is yes, right? But are my neighbors the people that live nearby me? Are my neighbors my fellow Christians or Jews? Or, or can I limit my neighbors to people I like or, or people who are friendly to me? And Jesus responds to, with something akin to, you know what? Let's just blow up your entire perception of who your neighbor is. And instead of asking who you can get away with loving, let's focus on how we love on how we love. So let's jump into verse 30 where he tells the parable today. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. And then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. It was a a radical idea, the idea that a Samaritan, someone that Jews didn't look positively upon and who they didn't like the Jews either, would stop to do this. The Samaritans were a group of people that were considered by everyone around them to be outcasts. See, the problem was they were half Jew and half Gentile. And so, as is common among humanity, because they weren't all Jew, they weren't all like the Jews, they didn't like them. And because they weren't all like the Gentiles, the Gentiles didn't like them either. They were outcasts, they were not looked upon well, there was certainly a prejudice against them completely as a group of people, simply for the reason they weren't like everyone else. And the truth is, humans are good at that. We are good at segregating and separating and 
treating people differently because they are not just like us. I don't have to belabor or beat up the reality that color of skin has been one of those things that we have used historically to separate us from one another. We know intrinsically that's not okay, but that doesn't mean we didn't do it at some point. And that also doesn't mean that there aren't remnants of it still around, because unfortunately there are. But there are other things that we use to separate ourselves from others when they're not like us and qualify them as, as bad or inferior or and one of them is, is socioeconomic background, right? If someone is is not had, doesn't have access to the same levels of education, or they're from a different country and have different social conventions, we have a tendency to look at them a little more jaded than we should. We have a tendency to allow the imago day to be clouded by those differences. Because birds of a feather flock together. That, that exists, that phrase exists for a reason because we are more comfortable with people that are just like us. Sometimes we classify entire professions that way, right? Well, though I've heard, if I had a nickel for every joke about lawyers, right, as a group, those lawyers, when the reality is I know a couple of lawyers that I would trust and that I love very much and I see them as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is still really good, really easy to group them. We do the same thing with politicians or with, with people that disagree with us on a political front in some way, shape, or form. We do that with people who have a personal history that is is not the most holy in the world. And I think some of that is our inability to see our lack of holiness in ourselves sometimes. We judge people and separate them by the way they dress or the, the tattoos they put on their skin or the number of piercings they have. And we go, that ain't right. That's not like us. Well, if we try really hard, we can find all kinds of reasons to separate ourselves from others. Uh, in this case, I can just see the people of God here, the priest and the Levite, which, by the way, are designed to identify as the people of God, the, a leader in the people of God and a priest, the one that the people always go to to find their connection with God. And in the Levites, the, the people that are following the Lord to the best of their ability. And it's no accident that that's the example that Jesus gives. But they could, they could easily, easily, Ignore this man because he is, and have likely, because he is unclean. He does not fit their standard or their ideal. He is not like them. They see this man beaten on the side of the road. This path that he's taking, the historical maps seem to indicate that this path he was on was about a 17-mile a, path that descended 3,000 feet over the course of that 17 miles. Can you imagine walking the other direction? up that path 17 miles. Ooh, that's a hike. That's a hike and a half. It was also a path that was known historically to be the home of robbers. You could very well, if you walked alone on this path, get robbed. And I've certainly experienced myself, one might say, you know, maybe we might say, well, you know, the guy made a bad call. He should not have been on this hard road all by himself that is filled with robbers. He made some bad choices. He must be a bad guy and separate him, separate themselves from him. 
they might have said, the priest or Levite might have said something along the lines of, well, you know, I'm traveling the same road he is, and I'm making it without a problem. Surely he did something to get himself into this pickle. Again, human beings are good at looking for reasons to separate ourselves from others. The truth at the end of the day, though, with this scripture is this. We don't know what their prejudices were. We don't know for sure what their excuses were. We can hazard a guess, but we don't know for sure. But what we do know for sure is that Jesus said that none of those reasons were good enough to not show the man mercy, to not help him, to refuse to be there for him. And, and then we meet the Samaritan, again, the one that would have every reason not to stop. We see that what makes the difference in him is that he has compassion. A compassion, I think, because he knows what it's like in life maybe to be rejected, right? It could be that he sees, he's able to clearly see past whatever separating factor that the, the priest and the Levite are seeing and see that image of God, that Imago Dei that we talked about last week. And, and sadly, it was a compassion that the people of God, the priest and the Levite, lacked. And maybe they had forgotten their reflection, that they were broken and fallen and in need of mercy and compassion. Maybe they neglected the Imago Dei, affording, which is you know not affording people that others to the same level of love and care and concern that they would want afforded to themselves. We talked that about about that last week. That's what it really means to love our neighbor as ourselves. But how do we respond to that? Because the truth is, it is the people of God in the story that are, have fallen short. Well, well, the first is this. We have to surrender our personal fears to divine compassion. If you're in our Brethren in America online class this week, we talked about a gentleman named John Klein. He was a, a pastor within the Brethren Church during the Civil War. And John Klein and others who were with him, uh, they were absolutely 100% against slavery. And they were also for mercy and love. And so what they did was they treated the sick and the injured from both the Union armies and the Confederate army. In fact, one of their main meeting houses was so close to the battle at Antietam, which was the deadliest battle still in human history. I think 22,000 people died over the course of that battle. And they chose to help them regardless, regardless of where they came from. And the truth is, John Klein was, was killed for that. He was killed for choosing to have compassion on someone else because they were broken and hurting and in need of help for serving the least of these. Sometimes we have a problem um, recognizing where our primary loyalties lie. Sometimes our fears drive us, our fears lead us. 
And, and oftentimes our fears determine our response to those in need. Maybe it's a fear of the unknown. Maybe it's a fear of how we might be received. Uh, maybe it's a, a fear of the personal cost to it, right? The priest and the Levite could have easily justified to themselves, I'm not helping this guy because if I stop here, I could get I could get robbed and beaten by those same guys. Maybe they're waiting in the bushes. It could happen to me. Maybe, as Admiral Akbar of Star Wars fame would say, it's a trap, right? Maybe it's a trap. I'm not taking that risk because I could get hurt too. But I I think sometimes also the fear of of an impact on the way we do life, the way we live life, our our lifestyle. Um, is one of those things that we allow to drive how we see those in need. In the Civil War, that was really what it was about. It was about race, yes, but it was really about the economic impact of eliminating slavery, what that was going to do to the economy in the South. And they fought to defend the right to live the lifestyle they wanted to live. So much so they were willing to separate from the country to do that. And don't kid yourself, the, the, we in the North were not exactly without that driver either because to lose the South was to shrink our economy and change the, change the dynamic of our economy. So there was a, a huge economic reason for the Civil War. And it caused people to be willing to fight to the death over their position. I think sometimes we do that presently. Uh, we've, we are willing to fight to defend our life and our lifestyle, sometimes at the cost of those who are in need. Uh, the immigration issue is a very, very difficult one to navigate. The questions of, of justice and mercy and, and following the law and not following the law. But what happens when fear leads is we take an entire group of people, just, just as the Jews did with the Samaritans and the Gentiles did with the Samaritans, and we vilify them without ever really knowing them for who they are. And we do that out of fear that it's going to cost us something to love them, that it's going to cost us something to provide for them. And the truth is, it might. But as, as Peter Need says, he was a, a brethren theologian also from the Civil War period, he said this, a Christian fundament is, a, is fundamentally a citizen of God's kingdom, and it is to his kingdom that he owes his primary allegiance. It's not to... It's not to the United States, that is secondary. We are called to be Christians who happen to live in America, not Americans who happen to identify as Christians. And we struggle with that, we do. And we also are called to recognize that, that we are not king of our own kingdoms. We talked about that in our last series, right? This idea of who's in control and who's in charge. We're called to look past those fears, those personal fears, and to lean into the, call, the calling that God has in our lives. In this case, it's about compassion for those in need. And in many cases, compassion for those who are not like us. Because who they are like is God. Because the Imago Dei is present within them.
And to do so, to love the least of these, is to love God. The next thing we need to do in response is to take time to cross the road. We know that the priest and the Levite both chose to pass on the other side, to not go through the simple act of crossing the road to help this man. Maybe they were in too much of a hurry. Maybe they didn't want to touch him. Maybe they were scared. doesn't matter. They chose not to go to him. Henry Nouwen says this. He says, we become neighbors when we are willing to cross the road for one another. There is a lot of road crossing to do. We are all very busy in our own circles. We have our own people to go to and our own affairs to take care of. But if we could cross the road once in a while and pay attention to what is happening on the other side, we might indeed become neighbors. What that allows us to do when we cross the road, when we meet people where they are in their life and try to understand their experiences, that's when a group of people becomes a person. That's when assumptions give way to understanding. That's when those people become a person made in the image of God. And when we connect with someone that way, the eyes of our hearts are open and the image of God himself, the Imago Dei, is made clear to us. The next one is to lean into mercy over judgment. Jesus did this for us. And loving him means following in his footsteps. See, if, if mercy triumphs over justice, James might have said that. <laughs> if mercy triumphs over justice, then worthiness is not a factor. Sometimes we don't offer help to those in need. We aren't neighbors to those in need. We don't, aren't willing to cross the road. We aren't willing to set aside our concerns. We aren't willing to put aside our fears and love the least of these because we, we act as though... Uh, they've done this, they've dug their own hole. Worthiness is, they're not really, do they, are they really worth my help right now? Can I just tell you how ungodly that is? And yet that's a struggle that we have. Maybe we think that the outcome will not be what we hope to hope it to be, right? That they're gonna do something crazy with the money or they're gonna make a bad choice or they're gonna continue to live in whatever they're living in. They might, but the seat, The thing is, Jesus died for those of us who are willing to follow him and those who were not willing to follow him. He knew that his demonstration of mercy and grace would not be well received by others and would not be responded to as he would have wanted. But that's not mercy wasted. When the response isn't what we hope it would be, that is not mercy wasted wasted. And when we lean into that mercy and when we provide for others, we reach out to our neighbors, when we look at others who are not like us and we choose to love them in the midst of their challenges, in the midst of our difficulties, to set aside our fears, we find out really, really quickly that God can and is working in people in ways that we cannot imagine and that outcomes are not really ours to determine. They're really God's. And our call is to love those in need. It's our call is to love those in need as we love ourselves and let God take care of the rest. So, as you go into this week, 
as we talked about last week, one of the things we need to pray for is for the eyes of our hearts to be opened as we see others, to see them for who they are. But this week, let's add some prayers to it. Let's add to, let's add to remove our fears from our compassion, to not let our fear be the primary driver. Well, if it's the fear of the Lord, that's probably okay, right? But let's not let not our earthly fears drive us away from being the people that God wants us to be. Let's pray that we're willing to cross the road, to go to the other side, to meet people where they are, to get to know them for who they are, to walk with them for a time. Because that's when we really are able to clearly see the presence of God. And let's pray this week that we are willing to allow mercy to triumph over judgment in our decision-making for who needs help. Our call is not to worry about the outcome. Our call is to just love our neighbors, to help one another, to care for those in need as Jesus cared for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and give you peace. God bless.